Well, good morning. Have you ever noticed that kids say the craziest things? Have you ever noticed that? Let me share a couple of those crazy things with you. A mother asked her child as they were on their way to church, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? The little child said, because people are sleeping. <laughs> a mother taught her child how to recite the Lord's Prayer, and one evening she was at the door listening to her child attempt the Lord's Prayer, and this is what she heard. Our Father, who art in heaven, Harold is his name. <laughs> forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. <laughs> Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from email. Amen. <laughs> it's probably truer than what we... A child says, Daddy, 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 can we get a kitten? The dad says, Honey, you know I'm allergic to kittens. I can't be in the same house with a cat. Oh, that's okay, Dad. You can sleep outside. <laughs> a young boy said, Daddy, I don't need to take a bath. Just Febreze me. <laughs> a little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a good time just like I am. All right. Well, this morning we're concluding our series on the kings, and today we're going to learn about an amazing young boy named Josiah who was literally thrown into a role he did not choose. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Kings, and we'll be in chapter 22 and 23 today. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, how old was Josiah when he became king? Eight, thank you. He was eight years old and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. Was he a good king or was he a bad king? Good king. Now, are there any eight-year-olds in our service this morning? Raise your hand. Any eight-year-olds, raise your hand and keep your hands raised. All right? Now, how about any grandparents, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins of any eight-year-olds? Raise your hand. All right, leave, leave them raised. All right, now, how about anybody in here that has ever been eight years old at any point in their lives or will be eight years old at some point in their lives? Raise your hands. Well, that's most of you. All right, well, good. Now, get a mental picture of that eight-year-old, okay? Get a mental picture of that eight-year-old, okay? Got it? Now, Picture that eight-year-old, instead of going into the third grade in just a couple of weeks, picture that eight-year-old becoming the president of the United States. Because that's what happened to Josiah. Now, to get a handle on the, the political scene in Josiah's day, we've got to go back hundreds of years to the death of Solomon because that marked the beginning of a fractured and divided Israel. A civil war soon broke out, and the once great nation of Israel was divided into two separate kingdoms, okay? Ten of the twelve tribes united and formed the northern kingdom of Israel. The other two tribes of Israel united and formed the southern kingdom of Judah. 
Now, by the time that Josiah becomes king, the northern kingdom of Israel is destroyed. Now, God uses this ruthless Assyrian army to bring judgment for him. The death toll was absolutely massive for the Israelites. And those that actually survived were deported to Assyria, never to see their homeland again. Now, the the eight decades that followed the fall of the northern kingdom, Judah, you following me? Judah fell deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Prophets like Micah, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk all pleaded with Judah. Judah, please turn away from your sin or you too will be judged. But their cries fell on deaf ears. Now when Josiah comes as a child to the throne of Judah, he inherits a political and a spiritual nightmare. Do you remember his grandfather, Manasseh? He served Judah for 55 years. He led one of the most vicious, vile, disgusting, wicked lives imaginable. What would it be like for an eight-year-old to know that his grandfather replaced worshiping the one true God for, for worshiping idols? What would it be like for an eight-year-old boy to know that his grandfather actually sacrificed some of his own children to satanic gods? Or hear of the wholesale slaughter of innocent people at the hands of his grandfather? Listen to Deuteronomy, or excuse me, listen to 2 Kings, it's in chapter 21, verse 16. Listen to this verse carefully. Moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. That was Josiah's grandfather. Now what about Josiah's father, Amon? He wasn't much better. He was just as evil and just as wicked as his father. And the people were tired of it. How tired of it were they? Well, after, two, after just two years on the throne of Judah, his own servants assassinated him. This is how this eight-year-old boy, the grandson of Manasseh, the son of Ammon, took the throne of Judah. He had no godly role model in his immediate family. He faced an unpredictable and a volatile political climate. His nation, Judah, was spinning out of control, headed for judgment. What possible difference could this young boy, this eight-year-old boy, possibly make in such dire circumstances? Well, this morning, I want to share with you three truths from Scripture. Truth number one, God can use you at any age. The Bible is filled with young, faithful believers who stepped out despite their age. See, God didn't use them because of their age. God used them because of their hearts. Listen carefully to some of these verses. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Don't let anyone look down on you. And that's Timothy. Because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, 
in love, in faith, in purity. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says, but the, word, but the Lord said to me, being Jeremiah, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Do you hear the tenderness in those verses? You see, the Lord knew that young people would have doubts. Young people would have fears. But God reassures them when he says, he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you as a young person. He'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you as you get older. The Bible's full of of young heroes. You see, before they were well-known, they were unknown. See, God can take a nobody and make them a somebody all by his grace. In the Old Testament, you remember the story of Joseph to Esther? You remember Esther? She incidentally won a, a beauty pageant before saving the nation of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's where the prophet Samuel visits the house of Jesse. It's not these strong, athletic, older brothers that God chooses to be the next king of Israel. No, it's the young, underage runt of the litter that God chooses to be the next leader of Israel. Then if you go to the next chapter, this young kid, David, is delivering cheese and crackers to his older brothers in the war. Why he's there, he decides to slay a giant, bringing godly fear back to Israel. What does his old brother do? He tries to send him back home. But it's not just in the Old Testament God uses young people. Jesus, for the most part, picked teenagers to be his disciples. If you go to Matthew chapter 17, it's Jesus and his disciples. They go to Capernaum to pay a temple tax. All the disciples are there, but only Jesus and Peter pays the tax. Now, according to Exodus chapter 30, verse 14, the tax is only applicable to those that are 20 years and older. So if I'm doing my math right, 11 of the 12 disciples are teenagers. Let me give you an example that's not in the Bible. We've all heard of Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. He was converted at the age of 15. By the time that he was 16, he was preaching at home churches. By the time he was 19, he was pastoring a large church in London. By the time he was 21, he was literally ministering to thousands at the Metropolitan Tabernacle built specifically for him. Now, some of you more seasoned people may be saying, you tell them, Scott. You need to encourage our young people to start serving. I'm tired. I've paid my dues. Wait a minute now. Too often I hear about people talk about how God used them in the past. They talk about how they worked tirelessly feeding the hungry, helping a friend, just sitting with a friend. But the conversation is always in the past. Let me tell you, your glory days don't have to be in your past. God can use you at any 
age. Look at Moses. Moses was 40 years old when he tried to help a fellow Israelite and he killed the Egyptian. Then he runs away for 40 years. Then God calls him back to lead his people out of Egypt. He's 80 years old. And his cohort, Aaron, 88 years old. He leads the people for another 40 years. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Now how can we forget about Abraham? He was the father of a nation until he was 175 years old. And Noah, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters covered the earth. Your glory days can be now, regardless of your age. I want you to think with me. I want you to think with me. What is God calling you to do? Whether you're young or whether you're old, what is God calling you to do? I want you to listen. I want you to listen to him. What is God calling you to do? Now ask for wisdom and ask for guidance. And now be prepared to do what he asks. The second truth, God can use you in spite of your circumstances. This is why I don't buy into the principle of being a victim of your circumstances or being a victim of your environment. Josiah didn't have the benefit of being raised by a father. His father was assassinated. He didn't have a godly or wise grandfather. Now I'm sure his mother did the very best that she could do. But somehow... Somehow, Josiah rose above it all. No matter what your circumstances, you don't have to be a victim. You too can rise above it all. Stop complaining that you didn't have a father at home growing up. Stop complaining that you didn't have a mother at home and you were raised by your father. Stop complaining that your parents didn't do everything right. Stop complaining that your parents didn't give you everything growing up and you were raised on hand-me-downs. Stop complaining that you had to practically raise yourself. Now you may be saying, you don't understand. You don't understand my childhood. You don't understand what I've gone through. You may be right. But I know someone who does, and that's God. Don't give anything or anyone that kind of power over you to hold you back in this life. Stop dwelling on the past and grab hold of the future. God can use you in spite of your circumstances. Josiah is the perfect example. Josiah should have been a failure. Josiah should have been just as evil and wicked as his father and his grandfather. Josiah's father was assassinated. That should have messed him up mentally so terribly bad it should have qualified him for a lifetime of counseling. Josiah should have been the poster child for being a victim of circumstances and being a victim of his environment. But somehow, Josiah found a way to rise above it all. Now, Josiah, he had to come overcome tremendous obstacles. But when he did, God used him to start a revival. 
And that's the third truth. God desires revival for all his people. Look at verse 3. In the 18th year of his reign, he took the throne at 8 years old, so now he's 26 years old. He'd experienced life a little bit. He learned a little bit along the way in those 18 years. I'm sure that he made a few mistakes along the way like we all have. But Josiah, Josiah began to feel something. Something was tugging at his heart. He wasn't quite sure what it was. Something greater and bigger than himself. He didn't follow his own family. He rose above the spiritual emptiness at home. He didn't follow the anti-God attitudes and the godless choices of a nation. He rose above the peer pressure. He refused to follow the masses. He wanted to live a life that was pleasing in the eyes of God. And not only did Josiah's life change, but God used him to start a revival, and it changed a nation. Guys, that's what we desperately need here today is a revival. Now, Josiah, Josiah looked around and he noticed that his house, the palace, was beautiful. It was wonderful. But God's house, the temple, was in ruin. The walls were falling down, the, the paint was chipping, the, the windows were broken. So what he does, he gets his court secretary, Shaphan, and he tells Shaphan, go find the high priest Hilkiah. And he commissioned them to rebuild the temple. So they go to the temple, they start cleaning out the temple, and they find something. Now this is exciting. Hold on. Verse 8. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the court secretary. Ready? I have found the book of the law in the Lord's house. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan, and he read it. Now, the Lord allowed them to find the book while cleaning out the temple. Did you get that? They found the book. This would be a good time to say amen. 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 Now, what's the book? Well, it's either the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, or either it's just Deuteronomy. You see, before Moses died, he handed off this book to his successor, Joshua. Now, somewhere between Joshua and Josiah, 400 years, the book was lost. Where was the book lost? In God's house. Now, Hilkiah and Shaphan, when they found the book, they read the book, they got so excited, they run the book over to King Josiah, and they read the book to King Josiah. Listen to King Josiah's response. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah the high priest. Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Agpur, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asaiah, the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people and, all, and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. 
For the Lord's anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. What was his response? He tore his robes. He humbled himself. And he wept before the Lord. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, and all the people from the least to the greatest. There the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands laws and decrees with all of his heart and soul in this way he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll and all the people how many people all the people pledged themselves to the covenant people committed their hearts and their lives to God and what was the result revival if God can use one righteous man, one righteous man to begin a revival for an entire nation, just imagine what God could do right here at Northside, full of spirit-filled believers. What could God do here in our church? What could God do in our community? What could God do around the world? Let me remind you that Jewish society had sunk to the lowest levels of moral depravity and God was ready to destroy them all. <laughs> Look around. Aren't you glad that our society isn't like that today? Let me give you some statistics. In the United States, 2.2 million people will die this year. 2.2 million people. And according to Barna, which is a very, very reliable source, he says that only 35% of the adults in America are Christians. That means that almost two-thirds of the people who die in America, adults, are headed for hell. Nine out of a ten Americans, 88%, consider themselves to be Christians. In America, half the adults who attend church have never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, these are people that attend church regularly, but have never made the commitment to follow Christ right here in evangelical churches. 61% of adults in America do not believe there's such a thing as the Holy Spirit, Satan, or hell. And that includes Christians. Only one in every four adults and less in teenagers believe in something called absolute moral truth. That means whatever's, whatever's right for you may not be right for me. Everything's relative. It all depends on circumstances. 
If that's true, God's word has been relegated to nothing more than a book of helpful suggestions. Without absolute moral truth, there's no right or wrong. If there's no right or wrong, there's no sin. If there's no sin, there's no judgment. There's no conviction. Without judgment and conviction, there's no need for a Savior. Guys, America is in spiritual darkness, and we don't even realize it. It's time for revival. So what do we do? Well, the first thing we need to do is find the book. Remember in Hikiah in verse 8 where he found the book? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, years ago, I was probably six or seven years old and our doorbell rings on our front door now back then nobody came to the you remember that nobody came to the front door and nobody would ever ring the doorbell if someone would come to your house they would go through your carport and and bang on the door just walk on in but the front doorbell rings so I come running to the front door little kid and I look out the window and it was my pastor Reverend Cromer so I tell mama, 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 Reverend Cromer's at the front door. Without hesitation, my mama said, listen, go find the family Bible and lay it on the coffee table. <laughs> I know we're not the only family that did that. All right, the second step for revival. Once you find the book, you've got to Read the book. Four times in today's scripture, it talks about reading the book. Do you remember the old adage, if all else fails, read the, the instructions. That's right. If all else fails, read the instructions. Let me tell you something. All else has failed. We need to start reading the instructions, and that's God's word. Now, you may be thinking, I don't have time to spend time with God. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to have that quiet time alone with my Savior. Have you ever heard a woman named Susanna Wesley? She had 19 children. Had a total of 19 children. In the middle of her busy day, which I'm sure is a lot busier than most of our days, in the middle of her busy days, she would simply take her apron and throw over her head when she did that her children knew to shuddy now if she can do that with that many children certainly we have no excuse can I tell you it's not enough to simply have the book and not read the book it's not enough to to, to, to keep the book on your coffee table, never open up to read it. It's not enough to keep it on your nightstand beside your bed, never to open it up and read it. It's not enough to, to throw your Bible in the back seat of your car, never to open it up and read it. It's not enough to have it laying on your desk to let everybody know you're a Christian, never to open up and read it. 
It's not enough to bring your Bible to church on a Sunday morning and then leave it here, and then when we return it to you the next Sunday, you didn't even realize that you had left it. That happens a lot here. The third step, obey the book. Verse 25 says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. Here's the good part. And there has never been a king like him since. If you're going to be remembered for anything, let it be this. Say this with me. Find the book. Say it. Find the book. Read the book. Obey the book. James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word, but what? Do what it says. James 2.20. Faith without deeds is useless. Now, we have many problems in our, in our homes, in our community, in our political world that could simply be solved by understanding the significance of God's Word. Many of us are stressed out over our jobs. Our company's involved in some downsizing, and we're just nervous that we're going to be a part of it. We may already have been. Find the book, read the book, obey the book. Some of us are tied, tied up in knots about money. We have just enough money to make it through the month. We find out our kids need braces or our car needs a new transmission, and we have no idea how we're going to make it through the month. Find the book, read the book, obey the book. Some of us are deeply worried about our children. One of our kids are headed in the wrong direction and it's keeping us up at night both figuratively and literally. Find the book. Read the book. Obey the book. Some of us are deeply worried about our marriages. Our marriage is hanging on by a thread and we simply don't know what to do. Find the book. Read the book. Obey the book. Some of us have health issues on our mind. We've gone to the doctor. We've had some tests run. We weren't prepared for the results. Find the book. Read the book. Obey the book. Some of us are feeling stress, feeling loneliness, emptiness. Instead of feeling joy, peace, comfort, hope, find the book, read the book, obey the book. Some of us in here are living a shallow, complicated life instead of a, a deep, simple life. Find the book, read the book, obey the book. Let's pray. Father God, 
Thank you. Father, thank you for the hope, the peace, the joy that only you can give. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Because we know that through him and only through him, we can have eternal life. But Father, not only that, we can experience true joy and true peace. True joy and true peace that only you can give right here on this earth. And Father God, I know in a group this size, there may be someone in here, even like Josiah, that felt you tugging at their hearts. And they may not have a relationship with you. They may, be, they may sense the movement of the Holy Spirit, but they just simply do not know what to do. It's pretty simple. All you have to do is believe that you are a sinner. God's Word says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've got to ask forgiveness of that sin. Repent. Turn away from that sin. We've got to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, left the perfect place, came to an imperfect world, lived a perfect life, took the sins on of all of us, past, present, and future. Took those sins to the cross, died on a cross that we may spend eternity with you. Oh, but the good news is he rose from the dead. So we worship a risen Savior. You've got to commit. Commit your lives to Jesus Christ. That simply means you have to make him a priority in your life. Whenever you do anything, whenever you think anything, you've got to focus on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. You've got to surrender your life. He's got to be a priority in your life. So if you feel God calling you, all you have to do is pray this simple prayer. You pray it silently in your heart. Father God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I do believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me to forgive me of all my sins. I commit my life to you. I want to make you number one in my life. I surrender everything to you. Come into my life. Come into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.